0: I call myself a dog trainer because that's what people are looking for, but I don't train dogs. I train people.
1: You're listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 67 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and I am so grateful that you're here with me today. I'm excited for you to meet today's guest, Jessica Fisher. Jessica is a dog trainer and a certified holistic pet health coach. She works with pet parents to do training in person as well as remotely, and she also does cat behavior consults as well. I know February was Pet Dental Health Month, but we really need to think about our dog's dental health all year round. I recently learned that 80% of our dogs over three years old have active dental or periodontal disease. And dental disease is actually a sign of other inflammation in the body and can be connected to everything from cardiovascular problems, kidney problems, fatty liver disease, diabetes, certain types of cancers, joint disease, pulmonary conditions. Your dog's dental health actually can affect everything in their body. And you know that I am obsessed with finding the best and healthiest products for our dogs. So I was so excited to find out about teeth. That's right, teeth. Just a tiny spoonful of teeth powder in your dog's water bowl will make a huge improvement in your dog's dental health. It's the only thing that ever made my vet stop and go, Hey, what did you do with Penny's teeth? They actually look so much better. So forget trying to figure out how to get your dog's teeth brushed without them biting you. Forget those sticks or green shoes. What you need is teeth powder, just a tiny amount in your dog's water bowl. And listeners of this podcast can save 20% on your teeth order with the code ADM. And you'll be on your way to a healthier smile for your dog without any anesthesia needed. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more about teeth and save 20% on your orders. <laughs> If you're a longtime listener of the Believe in Dog podcast, you probably already know that I am not somebody who grew up with animals in my life. And I always joke that I was a reluctant dog owner because it was totally my husband Tim's idea to get a dog when we bought our first house. And I'm always curious what that looks like for other people because I've met so many people over the years who have just been attracted to animals since they were young children. And they were, I sometimes I think of people as like those Disney princesses where like animals are just coming up to them as a child and, you know, landing on their shoulder and talking to them. And like, trust me when I tell you, I was not that kid. And I appreciate Jessica Sharing really vulnerably with us about some of the not great experiences that she had with animals in her early life. And I think it's that much more special for those of us who either didn't have experiences with animals or maybe had some not great experiences with animals when we were young, that we're able to find it to, in our hearts to open up as we get older. And then, you know, you'll hear Jessica talk about she had this kind of meandering career path. And then all of a sudden when dogs came into her life, it changed the whole course of her career path to where she's now a trainer and a pet health coach. And it's stories like these that I just love to be able to share on this podcast with you. And one of the things I'm always so curious about when I have the opportunity to talk to dog trainers is hearing about whether they think they're training the dog or whether they're training us as the pet parent. And so Jessica and I are going to have a really great conversation about that. And she's going to tell us why she decided to learn about positive reinforcement dog training. And she's also going to give us some tips about how to work with a trainer, especially if you're interested in working with a trainer remotely over the Internet and not in person with your dog. And we're also going to talk about the two different podcasts that Jessica hosts, the Pet Parenting Reset and the Pet Health Junkies. And Jessica also had a really special episode on the Pet Parenting Reset recently about dog moms who don't have children. And we're going to touch on that topic a little bit today, too. I'm so excited for you to meet Jessica Fisher. So we are here today with Jessica Fisher. Jessica, how are you? I am so wonderful. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to talk to you. So I always love by starting out with your childhood experiences with animals because I did not grow up with pets. I didn't even think I wanted pets and uh, it was kind of all my husband's idea. And so (laughs) I'm always curious to know what this looks like in other people's lives. So what did your early childhood experiences with animals look like?
0: Not great. <laughs> Sadly. Um, I actually was always a cat person. Me and my sister both. It's crazy because like as far back as you look in pictures of me, like as soon as I was old enough to walk, basically, like every other picture of me, there's there's some random cat that I found <laughs> in this picture. So I've always been really, really, really attracted to cats, or cats have always been really attracted to me, I guess. <laughs> but I guess I had two lives, basically. I had a life at my mom's house and I had a life at my dad's house. And my dad, because I had a sister, a half-sister at my dad's house who was also and is also very, very much a cat person, we, he, he somehow broke down and got us kittens <laughs> and my brother a puppy and I think it was an all-around horrible experience for my dad. The cats did end up staying in the house, and everything was like – he didn't like them, but they lived an okay life, but he wasn't – we were never going to have kittens again. (laughs) We were (laughs) never going to have cats again. And then the puppy they got my brother was a beagle, and it was just like – Of course, I was a kid, so what did I know? But it literally ate everything in the house, the cabinets, (laughs) the baseboard. (laughs) Oh, my God. So I think it was just an all-around horrible experience for my dad and stepmom. So they really never got pets again (laughs) after – I actually don't even know that they ended up keeping the beagle yeah, probably for a couple of years and then found another home for him. But um, at my mom's house, we did not have any pets in the house at all. My stepdad had hunting dogs that lived outside. And I did eventually, I want to say when I was like maybe eight or nine, I brought a cat home, but she had to live outside. Her name was Kitsky, but I- I still like love her so, so much, but I was a kid. I didn't know. And I wasn't allowed to bring her in the house, but that's pretty much like my
1: childhood <laughs> with pets. Um, it didn't go well at all. Wow. That's really interesting. Did you ever think about what that like? Oh, when I grow up, I would have pets or or no, I actually used to
0: always sit at the dinner table because with my mom and my stepdad, we always had dinner every night. We always had to sit at the dinner table. And I just remember when I was a kid, like I was so – me and my stepdad butted heads, like like, literally we could not breathe around each other without (laughs) making each other (laughs) upset. (laughs) And I was just so like – whatever you want is the opposite of what I want. And I remember always telling him like, when I grow up, I'm going to have a house full of cats and I'm going to eat pizza every night. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I definitely like wanted animals. I didn't know that I wanted dogs back then because all I knew of dogs really were like the beagle that ate up the house and these hunting dogs that live outside, which were always covered in fleas and ticks. And it was, it was not... Like, I didn't understand how incredible dogs were because of those experiences. So it was all about cats for me until probably my late 20s.
1: So, yeah, how did you become to be a dog mom?
0: Yeah, I – well, I had a bunch of – like, a lot of cats, (laughs) Um, both inside and out. Like, I had a feral colony that I cared for, and I had indoor cats. And when I met my now husband, he had a dog. It was a tiny little Chihuahua, and he did not talk very highly of her because it's she was a Chihuahua. Like (laughs) she was this yappy thing that was cute at times, but also peed everywhere, and he hated that. He's a very like work, 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 go, 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 go kind of person. So, like sitting down to play with the dog is challenging for him. (laughs) So. Yeah, I kind of fell in love with Gracie and immediately was like, I want my own dog. And so I adopted another dog when I moved in with my husband, my now husband. Her name was Claire. And Claire and Gracie got along so incredibly well. It was like meant to be. And Claire was a hot mess of like everything that could be wrong with a dog was wrong with this dog. (laughs) So it was kind of like a little project, which I know is horrible to say, but it like bonded us and she was my dog and i think for being my first dog it was perfect because she just was always there anytime i would be like where's claire my husband would be like turn around <laughs> like she was my dog and it was
1: it was just it it changed everything so i know you as a dog trainer as a pet health coach so I'm assuming this has not been your career all along. No, I was like, I I was lost for a long
0: time, I guess. Now looking back, because I did what I thought I was supposed to do in life, and I got a job, and then I got another job. And so I did a lot of like, after I got out of restaurants, because I think so many of us do that, right? When we're I was retail. (laughs) My husband and I were
1: retail. It's either retail or restaurants. Right.
0: So after I got out of restaurants, I actually became an insurance agent, and I hated that so much. So I, I had my commercial and personal lines insurance license to sell in the state of Virginia. And I did that for a couple of years, and I hated it so, so much. So I started working at a dealership doing just like accounting, office work, title work. And that led me to another dealership. And I stayed there for way too long. So I was just like minimum wage bar- or barely over minimum wage and doing administrative stuff from eight to five and like wasting my life basically. <laughs> and yeah, so one day one after I met my now husband, He had already started his own business online. And I was like, well, I mean, everything I like, I can help because this is all the stuff I'm doing anyway, like the accounting and the order processing and all that. Like I can do all of that. So reluctantly, he was like, okay, I'll hire you. And he, of course, now is like, it's the best decision I ever made because (laughs) he is so not organized and I am very organized So that kind of turned into like, well, I can do this too. I can have an online business, which didn't go very well. I started a blog and I didn't know how to monetize it. And then I started a YouTube channel. And in the course of like just all of the things that I naturally do or I've always done in helping animal rescues and collecting donations and doing TNR and like all the things and posting about that on my YouTube channel, somebody one day commented and said, well, instead of like all this support that you're doing for the rescues and shelters, why don't you do something to like actually keep dogs out of the shelter? And it hit really, really hard. Like it, it hit my heart (laughs) as so many of strangers comments on social media do, right? (laughs) For good or for bad. Yeah. Right. And I was like, yeah, I, yes, because I just kind of felt like I was floundering in life anyway. So I was like, what can I do? What can I do? And about that same time, I, I lost my dog, Claire, and we adopted Kim. And she had, I don't want to say horrible, but it was bad enough for us, <laughs> separation anxiety. And so I started learning all the things about separation anxiety and dogs and working with her. And I was like, I can do this for other people. So I decided to learn how to be a dog trainer. And, yeah, it kind of has grown and changed and been one of the most incredible
1: things ever in my life and it's all because of these dogs like yes. I just love it I you know <laughs> I just love it I, that's why I have a podcast or right? <laughs> like. So I have to ask and back up just a tiny bit. So how did you get involved in doing cat TNR? Because there's a lot of people that have cats, but, you know, they aren't always involved in like doing things like that. I, that's actually, I don't know if you do know this, but that's actually how I found Penny. I was out with a friend TNRing cats and here comes Penny running out of this alley in Baltimore. Oh, that is so incredible. I thought I was going to start
0: my own cat rescue long time ago. and. In the process of like trying to get my five hundred one c three and again somebody somewhere I don't even know if it was like in real life or on social media I have no idea they're like there are enough rescue and I have no idea if this is true but they were like there are enough rescues there are enough shelters we need more support in rescue and shelters so like don't go do your own thing because you're trying to help like find somebody who's already helping and help them help more kind of thing. And when I did that, I found a local rescue. They used to be a rescue where I lived in the um, Hampton Roads area in Virginia. And like I was one of the very few people that were volunteering to help with cats because most people volunteer to help with dogs. So they were doing a lot of trap, neuter, return work in the area because there are just so many stray cats. So I was like, yeah, I'll learn how to do it. And so like three nights a week, we would all be out there trapping cats in random areas and bad neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I don't even know how, I don't even know how we did this and didn't like, I don't know, get mugged and die.
1: (laughs) Well, my girlfriend and I would always go out at like eight o'clock on a Sunday morning if we had to go somewhere where it was, you know, kind of a, you know, area of town that makes you kind of raise your eyebrow a little bit because yeah. you know? we just figured like nobody'd be awake or up or out. <laughs> and, right. and I will say we did it for several years, you know, probably, I don't know, once a month, once you know, once every six weeks or so because there was like a rotation of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we never, ever, ever had any kind of problem or safety issue or anything i will say
0: <laughs> yeah no we didn't either i'm just looking back like really shocked that we did it <laughs> because we always started at like 10 30 11 o'clock at night oh, usually wow. on the weekends or like a um sunday night so we could get the you know the cats into like the monday morning clinic or yeah, okay. you know so yeah it was it was kind of a crazy part of my life looking back but i'm really glad like you know to know that whatever help it it gave to the cats in the area that was the goal that was the intent at least to help
1: yeah you know i uh i i support i don't know that there's ever enough rescues or enough organizations but you know i am happy to see just sort of like a shift in like people kind of like that upstream view of like how can we prevent the animals from getting in the shelter in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's a lot of the volunteer work that I am focused on here in Baltimore is like, you know, we provide free veterinary care and leashes and collars and dog foods and you know things to help people keep their pets cause they love their pets and they, you know, but sometimes they lack resources, you know, mm-hmm. to, and so, uh, I love those kinds of programs and those kind of people who are encouraging that kind of like, look, let's look upstream, you know, kind of uh, view. Okay. So how long ago was it that you first adopted Kim and, and we're dealing with the separation anxiety? Like what's the timeline? Gosh, that was like seven years ago. Okay.
0: Yeah. And her separation anxiety wasn't, it wasn't as certainly as bad as it could have been. She just couldn't, like, she, she can't control her emotions with, like, she think, and, and I have no idea. We're at least her second home, and she was in a foster home for a, over a year and before we adopted her. So I'm sure there are a lot of feelings of, you know, abandonment that she has and just trying to help her understand that we are always going to come back, <laughs> you know. But she, scree- she screams like a woman, I don't know if that, like any, if you can hear it, I can hear it when I think about how she screams. (laughs) But she would literally just like scream, like she sounds like a woman screaming like bloody murder. (laughs) And we don't hear that very often anymore. But when we first adopted her, we heard it literally every time we left the house. And I know we are like, I am super blessed to just be able to work from home. So I have been able to really like intensively work with her on this and no, know, she knows if I walk out the door for 15 minutes I'm coming back or if I walk out the door for a week now I'm coming back like she's she's still really super excited and doesn't want us to leave but she she's able to manage those feelings a lot better now
1: <laughs> and so I know that you are what is considered like a positive reinforcement trainer? Is that the right term that you would use? I know there's a lot of different terms. There are. And yes, it is what I call myself as positive reinforcement. So did you specifically like seek out that way of training or did you just kind of like fall into it and then were like, oh yeah, this is how I'd want to do it? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I actually did a lot of
0: research when I decided that I wanted to learn dog training I knew there were dif- different methods. I didn't know what they w- really were at the time. So I just did a lot of research and I of course like anyone probably in the United States at least would start out like, "Oh, what does Caesar Milan do?" right? <laughs> and then I realized that I saw people that I was friends with on Facebook that I maybe not didn't even really know in real life talking not so positively about Cesar Milan, And so I started digging and in, into the research and I started realizing that there are a lot of different ways to train dogs and there are some scientifically proven ways to train dogs and there are some not so scientifically proven ways to train dogs. And uh, I, I also think that especially – The more I learn about like health and like I have a a science degree, so I understand how studies are supposed to work and run. And I also understand how easy it can be to cherry pick the data you want (laughs) in a study. Oh, yeah. And also how funding of studies very strongly contribute to the outcome of studies. So I think when we are looking at, a method of training study we always always want to read the full full study and see like does that even make sense to us does it not make sense to us regardless of what anyone on the internet says this is how my heart felt like i needed to go in the positive reinforcement direction and the more and more and more i learned about it and the more and more and more i studied about it and the more i realized that When I am being called into somebody's home to help them with their dog, even if maybe, and I don't know this to be true, someone could say, well, some sort of fear or aversion could get that dog to that end result faster. I feel like it's my responsibility to only provide that pet parent with tools that are going to promote A healthy bond and relationship with their dog. That was a very long-winded way of me saying (laughs) I just be being a professional in, in the field of like a pet professional. I feel personally better. Like I can sleep at night knowing that I gave my pet parent that day all of the tools possible to build the healthiest relationship with their dog. And I personally don't believe that fear and pain and punishment is going to get the same result. So
1: for the average pet parent who hasn't, you know, spent a lot of time looking into this or, you know, all they know is like, oh, there's a problem with my dog and you know I, I need help. What should they know about positive reinforcement and how should they go about finding someone to work with them and their dog? Yeah, I think that can be
0: very tricky because so many people aren't in like the pet space or the right. pet world like we are. So all they really know is like, I have a dog and I need my dog to be trained. So they just type in Google dog trainer near me. And they don't even know that there are different forms of training. And very sadly, that can lead them in a direction where their dog does wind up being harmed. (laughs) One thing for sure, I would, I never, ever, ever, I'm very, very vocal about this, never recommend board and train programs. That is one thing I just, I cannot get my head around. So I would never, ever, ever recommend that for two reasons. One, you have no idea what they're doing to your dog when you're not there. But also, you're not learning how to interact with your dog to get the results you want. So when that dog comes back home to you, you are not prepared to continue to set your dog up for success.
1: I've personally seen that. Um, There's someone who I used to work with who did a board and train with their dog. And then when they got home and they didn't keep up any of the things and then they were like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> so before I even like ever knew anything about, you know, dogs or dog training, I was always like, oh, well, yeah, I guess like you have to keep up the consistency. It's, you know. Yeah. What do you think about the idea? I've heard some trainers say like, it's called dog training but it's almost like a little bit of a misnomer because it's really kind of people training do you agree or disagree with that
0: I 100% agree with that
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I
0: think we at least me I call myself a dog trainer because that's what people are looking for but I don't train dogs I train people and when I go into someone's home I tend to I, I talk to them a lot. I give them – in our first consultation, I give so much information. And meanwhile, I'm off to the side working with their dog, and they don't even realize that I'm training with their dog while I'm talking to them. And it's kind of like a second nature to me. Like I, some, I, I'm just doing it. And by the time we're done talking and I'm, and I'm getting to the point where I'm like, let me show you a couple of things to get you started – I'm like, do you do you see how well-behaved, like your dog has been so well-behaved and they're like, I know, it's crazy. And I'm like, that's because I've been working with him this whole time we've been talking. <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> so yes, it is 100% about training the pet parent. And yeah, I I actually, your your last question about like, what people should be looking for. I just want to say one more thing about that. (laughs) Um, I would would say don't just hire someone off of Google or off of an ad. Talk to them. Call, have a conversation with the person that you are – interview them, that you're interviewing to come train your dog or to bring your dog to to train because you trust your gut. Trust like that feeling that you're getting between your brain, your heart, and your gut, whatever it is telling you, like if you are resonating with that person, great. If you are not resonating with that person, or if they're saying something that you're like, I don't know about that, say thank you and move on to the next person. That would be like a late, like for the average pet parent, that would be my biggest, like without you going and learning
1: everything, that would be my biggest, like, tip. And even I think if you start working with someone and they're like, that's not a good fit, I think it's okay to, you know, cut your losses and move on. (laughs) Fire them.
0: Yeah, for sure. Fire them if you're not feeling it. Or if I've seen so many people um, online and they're like, we went to this group training session and when we got there, they were like, you have to put this prong collar on your dog or I'm refusing to let you into the group and then they feel bullied into putting this prong collar on their dog or whatever it may be whatever tool the person is using and they didn't feel right about it and they did it anyway and then they came home and regretted it if you don't feel right about it don't do it like don't pay someone to hurt you like why <laughs> why would you why would you do that <laughs> don't pay someone to put you in an uncomfortable position like th- that's not the point Just say, okay, great, thank you. I'm not doing that and walk away. Save your dog, save your relationship with your dog, save yourself the feelings of guilt and whatever, you know, $100, whatever it was that you would have paid for the training session.
1: (laughs) So are there a lot of common like issues that behavioral or training issues that you get contacted about or do you do more like basic like classes or what are you seeing every day?
0: Yeah, I think there, there is, I don't, I don't do like super advanced stuff. I'm not the person that's going to turn your dog into a robot. I'm not going to train them in agility. I'm, I don't do the you know, service dog training. I am that person that is like, I want to make sure that you and your dog are living in harmony in your home. That's, that's it. That's the bottom line. So yeah, it's a lot of like, leash reactivity, barking, jumping, just the things that, like, make it difficult, I think, for the average person to live their life, especially with a larger breed dog, where they're not just like, oh, come on, can you please, like, I don't want that. At the end of the day, that's not how you should feel about your dog. You should, you know, and it's all a, like, behavior and attention Like all of it is behavior and attention. But again, that's where it's really people training and not dog training.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this is just like a a funny thing that just pops into my head. And of course, this is going back 20 years almost now uh, when we very first adopted our, our first dog. And, you know, we're pit bull dog people. And there was kind of like a time period, at least around here, around Baltimore area, where like there were trainers who didn't train pitbull bull dogs. And it was almost like you had to find like a pit bull trainer. I think that we have come a long way since then. Uh, but have you ever run into people or like a weird situation where somebody didn't work with a type of dog or, or anything like that? I'm just curious if that's still a thing at all.
0: You know, I, I personally haven't. I have heard of things like that, for sure. And I think I could be wrong because I'm so out of the loop with like the big box Petco PetSmart, but I think they might still have like bands in their boarding and grooming facilities for Mm -hmm. pit bull type dogs. But yeah, no, I feel like I've been very, very blessed with not only the clients that I have had because I'm very generally like I have an online course and that's great for people that I can't service directly, but like I tend to stay like in my neighbor. Like there's plenty of business just in the neighborhood I live in generally. So I think I've been very blessed. And also in the positive reinforcement community, I, I think there is a lot more inclusion in dog breeds in general because it's it's about there, – there aren't a whole lot of excuses made, I guess is what I'm what i what i think of when i think of these trainers that are like oh you can't train this breed of dog or you can't use positive reinforcement for dogs in this situation or these breeds of dog like that's a very like exclusionary viewpoint of their training method and i think for positive reinforcement trainers in general it's very inclusionary so i think just in the circle that i find myself in <laughs> I haven't dealt with that at all
1: yeah I think it's like kind of a more of an old school thing but uh yeah. you know it's just something that I like I said I just I didn't even know if that was still around at all I hope not I hope it's all being phased out I hope old I hope we're losing some of the old school stuff
0: <laughs> I, yeah I hope so too because it doesn't make sense <laughs>
1: yeah so One of the other things I know about you is I I always call myself like a dog health nerd. And I know you're kind of a fellow dog health nerd. Yes. (laughs) So I'm always curious. I have like sort of like I don't have like there's one like incident or reason that kind of took me in a different direction. I've had this sort of very long intertwined journey of like my own like health and wellness with my dog's health and wellness and just trying, you know, learning different things. And so I was curious what your path to like kind of coming to this more alternative approach or, you know, not necessarily shunning conventional quote unquote medicine, but, you know, just realizing that there's a lot of different tools in the toolbox there. And and so what does that look like for you? There are a
0: lot of different tools in the toolbox, and that is sometimes overwhelming, but also really, really wonderful. It's kind of multifaceted for me as well. I had multiple experiences with animals in my care. One big one for dogs specifically was my dog, Claire, that that my first dog. She had seizures. And at some point, In our journey, I decided I wanted to home cook for my dogs. And my vet knew little to nothing about this. (laughs) So I started researching online. And I think one of the first recipes I found was Dr. Judy Morgan's pup loaf. So I started making that. And it just so happened that like two months went by and I looked at my husband and I was like, when was the last time Claire had a seizure? And we were like, oh my gosh, she hasn't had a seizure in months. We've been feeding home cooked food for months. Like it like it was this light bulb moment. And for my cats specifically, I had a cat with a really, really nagging wouldn't go away ear infection. And my vet as part of the like regimen decided we were going to give him Revolution, the topical flea and tick medication. mm -hmm. I guess like ear mites, maybe he was thinking, I don't know. And I did that and he got a chemical burn from the Revolution. And I called him and I said, he has a chemical burn from the Revolution. He was, and my vet was like, well, he needs one more dose. And I said, you're out of your day on mine. Yeah, really? (laughs) So both of those, they they didn't happen at the same time. I feel like I found my path for dogs before I found my path for cats, which is strange, (laughs) but it has just kind of grown and grown and grown. And what I found when I started doing dog training after probably about the first year or so, I trained everyone for free because I was learning. And once I started charging, I also started incorporating nutrition as part of my dog training, and I just started seeing incredible behavioral differences, like to the point where there are so many, I, almost, I would say almost half of the people that I go into their homes and I give them some tips and we go through some of the basics and we change the dog's diet They don't need, they're like, okay, great. We're good now. Our behavior is all great. Like I'm putting myself out of work and that's (laughs) totally fine with me (laughs) because these dogs are living so much better lives. And that's the whole point to begin with. And just seeing the incredible improvements in behavior and just the relationship. But I also think that like when people put more effort into the care of their dogs, the bond between them and their dogs changes. So I think that's also part of it. But really, the effect that real food has on the body is not limited to physical health.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it affects behavior as well.
0: Yes, 100%.
1: <laughs> so I'm going to share a funny little story right now. So we're recording this in February of 2023. So last summer, uh, like July, August of 2022, my husband went to the doctor and you know, he's a man of a certain age. And they're kind of like, oh, you know, your cholesterol is looking high. We want to put you on, you know, medicine and the the blood sugar, the A1C, you know, just we might need to look in, at that. And my husband and I are the kind of people that are like, oh, we don't really want to take a medicine if like we don't absolutely have to. So let's see what we can do with dietary changes. And mm-hmm. so we started looking into the keto diet. So this is a high fat, moderate protein, low carb diet. And considering my husband's favorite food on earth is like pasta, this was like a big change for us. And, you know, and we are people who like put a lot of effort into like where we source our food from and getting things organic. And like we have a local farm where we get meat from and, you know, things like this. So we were paying attention to things, but, you know, we were still like, let's have chicken and pasta. Let's have spaghetti and meatballs or, or something. So my husband is Tim. He is somebody that would get hangry (laughs) where it's like if I come home and he's like, I'm like, oh, God, he needs to eat like right now. Like I I can tell. And and then, oh, my God, if somebody is hangry, the worst thing you can ever do is say, are you hangry? (laughs) Right? Yes. (laughs) But we started doing this keto diet. He was like so incredibly disciplined and regimented about it. I was not quite as much, but still pretty good about it. And not only did he lose weight, completely turn all his blood work around, but he wasn't hangry for months. Like it affected his behavior, you know, like his mood and behavior every day. And so it was just a really like just good reminder to me of like how what we're eating like affects our mood and our behavior. And of course it can with our animals as well. It just like reinforced all this thing that I already kind of knew, but it's like, this is like firsthand living it everyday experience right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I think that's how we learn best. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. I know it
0: is for me. Like I need to do, I need to do. And then I'm like, okay, I got it.
1: (laughs) And then like, once I've experienced it, then I'm like, hey, I need to start a podcast because everybody needs to know about (laughs) that. Right? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It is amazing,
0: like, how much better you feel and how something as simple as, like, rotating your probiotics. Sometimes we forget to do that. And I I recently switched to a different probiotic, and I'm, like, noticing that I'm not getting the same, like, sugar cravings. And so, I mean, really, sometimes it can be super simple things that we can do, and they really
1: can make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. So you are also a member of the two podcast club. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So you have the pet parenting reset and then you just started the pet health junkies. Is that right? That is correct. And pet health junkies. I have two
0: co-hosts, which is nice. Uh, It's, it's, even though the topics on both podcasts are very similar, having the co-host on the Pet Health Junkies podcast just turns it into a totally different type of podcast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it, it, it has been, I almost want to say like an eye-opening experience in collaborations because my husband and I have always had this kind of rule that we don't work with other people. Not like we don't collaborate with other people, but like we don't work with other people rely on <laughs> yeah. yeah and it can be it can be difficult at times but we make it work or I make it work because I
1: think I kind of took charge of it <laughs> I feel like honestly like I could have like five more podcasts if I had more time in my day right. because I just have yeah. so many things that I feel passionately about and and get excited about and want to like share you know with with everyone. So, how did starting the pet parenting reset like how did that all come about, and what does that name mean to you, and what do you hope it conveys to to your audience
0: so I was just looking for a way to find my tribe I think with when I started the podcast. I had had YouTube, Facebook for years and The sad reality of the whole situation is that I ran ads on Facebook and I was doing well. I had a converting ad, which is like the goal of every advertiser. And it was making money on, you know, I wrote a book and then it took you into my online dog training program. And Facebook shut down my ad account. (laughs) And that would be fine whatever i've i don't i don't need to run ads but when they did that they killed my organic reach with my group with every like literally i can post all day long different things different types of things video images whatever it may be and facebook just killed my organic reach so i said i need to find something else and I was like, well, I'll do a podcast because YouTube is great, but, like, I hate editing. (laughs) (laughs) I hate editing. And so I was like, I can talk. I can talk forever (laughs) about this subject. Let's just keep talking about it. And when I sat down to figure out what I was going to call it, I wanted something that one attracted my audience, pet parents, and also let them know that this is not the same thing that you're getting everywhere else. This is not. So that's where the reset came in, because you I I think the content that I put out for the average pet parent, it's going to make you think and it's going to make you realize that there is a whole world out there and caring for your pet, whether that is training or health or whatever it may be that you hopefully hear something that piques your interest and resets the way you think about caring for your pets. So that was kind of the idea in
1: in naming the podcast. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think there's so much to learn and to share and, and hear about and like you have a good mix of like interview episodes as well as just like sharing information and so I'll make sure we have a link in the show notes so everybody can find it if they're not already following you and following the pet parenting reset who is it that you collaborate with on the pet health junkies
0: so pet health junkies um is myself
1: and Pam Roussel
0: who is perfectly holistic which is a boutique for cats, and
1: that's perfectly. Like, P
0: u r yeah. r r. Yes, I know. I should say it the way she said it. Perfectly. So perfectly. P u r r r. She she has challenged me to rethink a lot of things as well, which is why I think working with her has been great because she is very like, in you know the energy of life, and she does muscle testing and energetic rebalance. I don't, that's not what she calls it, but she is really, really great about tapping into just the, I guess, the the energy of what is working, what is not working, following intuition. And so she has challenged me in that way. So I appreciate very much that kind of different outlook that she has. And then Janet Cesarini owns Popology, which is our local healthy pet food store here in Georgetown, Texas. So it's just her and her team. She, Of course, she has people that she employs. And it's just one location. So it's not like you're going to find a Popology everywhere. <laughs> but she has a unique and different perspective as well because her first husband was a veterinarian. And she has gone through so many health challenges herself and with her pets. And she has a different perspective that kind of keeps us in balance, I think, because Pam and I can kind of go off on the rails about things. And she kind of brings us down to like, we need to meet people where they are. And because this is what she deals with every day. She deals with people coming in looking for kibble, and then she has to try to educate them to hopefully provide their pets something extra in the bowl or let's change the bowl completely. And so she is much better that, than Pam and I are about meeting people where they are. <laughs> so um, it's just been a good mix of character, I think, in in that show. That's great.
1: So I know what I wanted to ask you about too. So, you know, especially since COVID, um, I feel like that made a lot of trainers realize like, oh, I can kind of like work by Zoom or work remotely um, and do things. So do you do that kind of work? What do you think that pet parents should know before looking for a trainer? Is it okay to look for somebody online? Should you work with somebody in person? Does it matter what your goals are? Like, what do you want to share about that? So
0: it can matter what your goals are. I think if you are dedicated to making it work through an online collaboration with a a dog trainer or a behaviorist or a veterinary behaviorist, then you can make it work. I think a lot of times, especially for like behavioral issues, we need to see what's happening because pet parents can overlook a lot of things because they see it every day. So having fresh eyes on something can be very beneficial, but you can take video of that and send it. So I think yes, finding somebody who can work with you over Zoom is a totally great option. I do do that. And I think that's also why I created the online program. It's a it's a video-based program where Yes, there is a good mix of like videos where I'm just talking to you and explaining things to you, but there's also a lot of videos where I am in somebody's home with somebody else's dog that is not my dog and showing you exactly how, because getting the timing and, and different things right can make or break <laughs> the training in some instances. So that's one of the reasons why I created the online course is because like I wanted to be able to reach a lar- larger audience than just like my little bubble here in my neighborhood, but yeah, I think it's a totally viable option. And because it is so much more about people training than than dog training, it it yeah, absolutely. If you can't find somebody local to you that resonates with you, totally, totally fine to look for somebody who's willing
1: to do online programs with you for sure. That's great to know. So can you tell us the difference between a trainer and a behaviorist and when you should look for one or the other? So for me, training is
0: more like, you know, I want to teach my dog to sit my dog. I need to make sure that my dog comes when I call them. And even so far as to go into like, if you're training for like, um, dock diving or agility or like that's training when we're just working with like teaching our dog, manners basically and how to how to live in a human household because there are different species right yeah. so their rules of how to live don't necessarily align with our rules of how to live yeah. and manners of living in a household with humans that to me is training behavior is going to be things like i mean obsessive compulsive disorder I, I think separation anxiety is, is much more behavioral um, and of course when we're looking with when we're looking at more behavioral issues like anxiety like you know maybe maybe they're harming themselves because uh, well we need to look at medical like underlying medical issues before so i think that's one of the big differentiating factors between just training and behavior is that there's this medical there's this physical component that we need to address and we need to make sure that we are that – our, that our dog is healthy and that it's not something physical, not some ailment or disease that is contributing to behavior before we actually get into, like, the actual behavioral portion. And so I think a lot of times that's where, like, a veterinary behaviorist comes in. And I don't think they're, – they're not super, super easy to find yeah. <laughs> locally. Like, if you need somebody – close to you. That's why, you know, finding someone who works online could be great because these are people who went through veterinary school. So they know everything your veterinarian knows about how your dog or cat's body works and functions. And they then went on to continuing education for behavioral studies in those animals. So these people who are behaviorists who are veterinary behaviorists specifically are really worth every penny I think they <laughs> charge <laughs> and sometimes very, very necessary. But again, that medical component oftentimes is the differentiating factor between training and and behavior. So we, we always want to look at, is your dog healthy first before anything else? Even if like, And I say this with people who are just looking for training. When was the last time your dog's been to the vet? Like, I need to, I want to know all of these things. Do they have any, do they have any medical issues that we know of? You know, if we have a dog that, well, I thought my dog was potty trained, but now they're peeing everywhere. Well, of course we need to get into the veterinarian first. Like, don't call a dog trainer, call your (laughs) veterinarian.
1: I I was just literally thinking of that because, you know, with Penny, that was how we knew she had a UTI was she was having, Mm -hmm. you know, accidents in the house. So, yeah, there's a lot of times that that something can be an underlying medical issue and and not a behavioral Mm -hmm. issue.
0: For sure. So, yeah, I think that's one of the big difference. So, like, to me, training is more like manners. And then behavior is like, okay, there's there's something not functioning right. Like, you know, an OCD behavior or
1: self-harm behavior, separation anxiety, those kinds of things. And so the other thing, and just because it happened to come out this week, like you did a podcast episode, and I'll make sure we have a link to this episode with Rachel Fusaro, who is like a total you know rock star dog mom, and it was really a really vulnerable conversation about deciding whether or not to have children, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of like being the dog mom but not the like human mom, and you know, this is something that has played out in my life, too. Um, And, you know, maybe if other things had gone other ways, maybe it would have played out differently. I don't know. But but I don't have children. And, you know, and I just like I just hope everybody goes and listens to that because it was just so honest and so just trying to share that there's so many different perspectives and we all have so many different journeys and not judging choices. And especially when we have no idea, you know, what what somebody ha- has gone through. And because of the fact that I don't have children, I a lot of times have assumed that other people who don't have children were like me and that they didn't want them, you know, and I have learned that I can not think that way. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, it's just sort of that reminder of like, we we can't ever know what somebody else is going through and that we can't judge, especially what we don't know. But, you know, even if we what we do know, <laughs> we shouldn't judge because we're all here kind of on our own journeys and, and doing our own thing. And, and the, anyway, it was a really beautiful episode and conversation. I had to make sure I mentioned it.
0: Thank you. I almost didn't post it <laughs> because I was terrified going into recording it. And I was emotional like I, I hope it turned out okay because I stopped editing at some point. I couldn't handle the editing anymore. <laughs> like like hearing
1: it yourself like talk about yeah. it. Again.
0: Yes, I was so emotional. Um, and I was like, I can't do it. And I skipped to the end and I put uh, put my outro. <laughs> and then, when it came time to post, like I knew I knew I had uploaded it it was the day that it was going live and I was just like trembling because I'm like, how am I, how am I doing this? How am I putting this much of myself out there? (laughs) But then I realized it's not just me. Rachel put herself out there too. And I, it would be a disservice for me to not put that up because she was willing to be that vulnerable with me. So I had to, I just had to put it up. And, um, I'm still shaking over it a little bit. But yeah, we just don't know where people are coming from. And I think it is super common for people like us in the crazy pet health space to not have kids. Not all of us, but a lot of us, like a lot of us. And I wanted to know why. I wanted to know if my story was anyone else's story. And if anyone else's story was Rachel's story. And like, hopefully, hopefully we can like not, it's, it's such a like stigma to not have children. And part of me understands that and part of me doesn't. So I, I I think I was one of those people that was really in my late teens, twenties, I was really sucked into this, like, Go vegan or you hate animals and don't have kids because the world is overpopulated. And like and of course, getting older, right? Like when we're teenagers, our world is so small. And as we grow and as we grow up and we become adults and we actually participate in the world, our view of the world expands. And just learning that like I, I, I'm almost embarrassed that I fell for it all Anyway, I've learned so much and it has taught me to look at the world differently and look at people differently and realize that we all didn't, even though like you and me and Rachel and Kimberly and like we're all on, I feel like a very same path. We didn't get here the same way. And I hope it kind of opens up some dialogue so that we can talk to each other as humans more.
1: Well, what I think was so interesting or what was coming up for me, right, is that, like you just said, like me, Rachel, you, Kimberly, none of us have children. We all have very different experiences and reasons why. And so you can't say, oh, like they all decided to be dog moms and, and not have kids and they're, you know, selfish or self-centered or whatever, you know, you want to call it. Because we all have like varying different reasons of why it has played out that we don't have children, you know. And so it's like, I hope that having conversations like that and reminds people that like you can't paint. Somebody with these broad strokes of, oh, they're the people that don't have kids. Oh, they're, you know, because like each person has their own individual story that you know absolutely nothing about. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, and so I just think it, you know, it was such a, a beautiful reminder of that and, and, you know, to challenge our assumptions and to not just label things in a certain way. You know, I hate like how. I'm picturing my father in my head who's very guilty of this will like just paint people with these broad strokes and, oh, they're the this, they're the that, you know, and it's like I just really try not to do that and to just really give everybody the space to be themselves and have their own reasons and realize that, like, I don't I don't know their journey and I'm not here to to judge that. So it was just I will put a link. I want everybody to go and listen to that episode because, you know, whether you have kids or don't have kids, I think it'll really move you and 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 I'm glad that you found the bravery and the strength to post it because every time I post something on social media on a podcast I'm just like oh god and you know know. and and let it It rip
0: (laughs) it is it's terrifying and I I I I hope people that do have kids especially listen to it because I feel like it's the people that have kids that look at us (laughs) and are like you don't have kids you don't get it like I okay I don't have the experience of raising children but that doesn't mean I don't get like I I don't have your experience that doesn't mean I don't get it
1: right right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well Jessica I will make sure we have links in the show notes for everybody it was so wonderful to, to talk with you today you and too. I want everybody to go and find you and follow you and thank you so much thank you I appreciate it I' I'm, I had a great time. <laughs> I'm so grateful to Jessica for sharing her story with us. And you should know that, yes, even though this is episode 67 of the Believe in Dog podcast, I do still get nervous every time I finish it and every time it's time to upload, even after all this time. And that's why I just have to take this extra moment to say that I appreciate all of your five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and the kind words that people say. It really does mean a lot. I'll have links in the show notes so that you can find out more about Jessica and how to work with her if that's something you like to do. And I hope that you'll listen to her episode talking about dog moms that don't have children because that really is a special conversation. And Jessica really did get extremely vulnerable and really lay it out on the line about everything that she's gone through and why she doesn't have children. And for all the ladies out there, whether you do or don't have children, I I think it's worth a listen and such a great reminder that we don't always know somebody's story just by looking at them and just describing somebody as a label of child free and a dog mom uh, doesn't tell you anything about why they've made those choices in their life and what has led them to where they are and and maybe they choose to embrace it with happiness but maybe that's not what they thought their life was going to look like either it's just always a good reminder to me that you know we can't apply these labels to people and with broad sweeping strokes think that we then know everything about them based on that label I feel so fortunate that I get to have conversations like this and cover so many different topics from dog training to whether you're going to have children or not. I appreciate Jessica's story so much from being a childhood crazy cat lady to getting a dog with separation anxiety and making a whole career change. I just think that there's a lot of beauty in sharing our stories and in learning more about each other. And I'm grateful that you let me do this through the Believe in Dog podcast and that you keep coming back and listening. And if I'm being extra sappy today about this, it's probably because I recently saw through the various podcast tracking websites that the Believe in Dog podcast is now in the top 5% of podcasts in the world. And I'm so blown away by this, and I'm so grateful that you keep coming back and listening and wanting to see who we're going to meet and talk to next, and what role dogs have played in their lives. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook, but I did want to mention that I changed the name on my Instagram. You can now find me at Erin the Dog Mom. So this way I can also share about the Alternative Dog Moms podcast that I do. I can share about the Dog Health Journal, and it's not just solely Believe in Dog Podcast related. It's everything that Erin the Dog Mom is up to, which you're going to be hearing more about in the coming months. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. The Believe in Dog podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs LLC.